0: Welcome to episode 41 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and Daz, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, it's our one year anniversary this week. Uh, We started this endeavor one year ago and we've we've been pretty good, we must have only missed 11 weeks across the year. Does it feel like a year ago we started having those regular conversations?
1: Well, it it feels like it if you measure by the the tear that I'm wiping down the side of my (laughs) cheek, so it, it must be. You're hitting me where it's important. I actually didn't know it was a year. I didn't. I knew it was around trade deadline, but I didn't. I wouldn't have pegged it yet. Yeah.
0: It was a year ago. We we started by talking about. Well, of course we talked about the Bucks. We talked about the wool, the Wolves, and the Sixers, I think were the three terms we really focused on. Uh, and it was, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was about a week or two before Jabari did his knee again. So you were a lot more positive about the Bucks. <sighs> than what I, you probably were a week or so later. That's right. I remember
1: episode 2 or 3 was just depression. I think that's when I started cracking open the, you know, the extra strength <laughs> IPAs during the pods, but uh that's been a good year. It's been a good year, Daz. Interesting week as well.
0: That's right. So a lot of trade news to get to, but we're going to start by talking, just quickly touching on our good, bad and the ugly again from the the games we might have covered across the week. I'll let you say, so what what was your sort of good from this week, if we want to start on the positive note?
1: I'm already going to throw the producer a curveball. We literally just <laughs> three minutes ago agreed what this would be, and I'm already, I'm already changing my mind. So... The, the good because it stands out so much. Like one of the games of the year, definitely a top five game of the year, was Denver OKC, and you know I've been bagging on Denver and Malone and their rotation and their lack of point guard play, and some of the some of the lowest IQ basketball and some collapses I saw earlier. But they played they played pinnacle, like the idealized version of that team came came out to play, and they had the. Um, a phenomenal fourth quarter finish. So had a big lead. OKC comes roaring back. And so you also saw the best of Russ Westbrook as well. When he's when he's good Russ, when your team is down 13 and you just need buckets, he just got everywhere. He wanted to be crazy shot, breaking double and triple teams, dunks, pull-up threes. Russ was, Russ was unbelievable. But then Denver matched him shot for shot. Trey Lyles, big shots. Harris, big shots. Jamal Murray. Maybe had a little bit of a coming out party. I've been low on Murray, most of the, I guess, just lower on his ceiling than others, but he had a wonderful game. And so, I don't know if you saw it, Daz, but it was a classic, what was the, I don't know what the final was, let's say one. It was
0: 127-124.
1: 127-124, it just, and I think they were trading buckets from about, um, about 110 on, it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, awesome finish, big bucket after big bucket, so one of the games of the year both teams playing high quality and um just tons of fun when you got great shooters making impossibly difficult shots and the crowd was just getting you know as he would just getting wrapped up in it as he saw the you know had the big lead and feeling pretty good and oh god they have that that feeling you get right when Ross or the better team is making their surge and making their run and it feels like that that sense of the inevitable loss coming and uh, we're going to fuck something up, right? We're going to do dump some boneheaded player, make a couple dumb turnovers or miss free throws. And they did, didn't do any of that. They just, they just made big play after big play. And so each one of those, the crowd gets more and more nervous. And so when good things happen, they get more and more, you know, explosive with their cheering. So it was just the, kind of fun to have a crowd blow the lid off in, a, you know, been dog days of the NBA. Uh, early February game. So that, for me, was definitely the good for the week.
0: Yeah, well, Nuggets had a good week. I mean, they went 2-2 two and two for the week, but it could have been so much better. They had a very narrow loss to Boston, which was another really great game. Uh, Boston hit a late shot. I think it was Kyrie, uh, just off the top of my head, that hit the big shot in that game. Then they had a really great game in San Antonio. The Spurs ended up winning that by two, but uh, the Nuggets really blew that game badly because they had a pretty much a wide open two that they could have just gone in for a layup and tied the score and gone to overtime. Instead, for some reason, they were desperate to shoot a three, so they just passed it back out, and eventually they took a contested three, which which was halfway down the rim and then bounced back out again from Will Barton. So they were very unlucky to lose that. Then played the game. I watched a bit of the game against OKC, and they were, they were about 12 ahead, but it was one of them games you felt like they had in hand. And then, I only saw the score uh, a couple of hours later when I was just checking the highlights of the day uh, and saw what happened. So looked like a great finish, obviously. Uh, Gary Harris hit the big shot there, but Jamal Murray had a bit of a coming-out party. I, I was And I was impressed. I watched the whole, entire game with the Spurs, and the Spurs absolutely destroyed them only a couple of weeks earlier. Oh. So I was very impressed with how Denver actually played better. They were the better team beaten on the day. And i still not 100% that they've, they they still lack a point guard. They still lack a bit of direction. But Jokic played so beautifully in that game. He was sort of acting like a point guard in a sense uh, in terms of the way he was directing the play. And Jamal Murray, to your point, had a, had a much better game. Uh, Moudier was okay in that game. Uh, the Spurs don't handle point guards all that well anyway, so it was probably a nice matchup for him. But overall... As I say, I was pretty impressed with how Denver looked in that game, and they backed it up today. Daz, not sure if you caught it in this game, with a win over the Warriors. So, uh, what what could have easily been a four and a week for them against really good uh, opponents, they still went two and two. They're well entrenched in the Western Conference place, and of course, Paul Millsap still to come back. Uh, Wilson Chandler also still to come back into this team. He hasn't been playing all that well, but he'll he'll at least some positives. Uh, for this team, you'd think so. Things starting to look up in Denver, uh, and whenever Jokic's on the court, I think they're they're a they're a good watch.
1: And I think that we, um, I don't want to go too far, uh, wide angle lens, but it's getting starting to get really interesting between you know what's happening with the Pelicans, you know with obviously with Boogie, but then some of the moves they're making to to reload or they're desperate to make the playoffs, and then obviously Nuggets starting to play well. And the Clippers, right, with the, you know, it could be some addition by subtraction there, and then Utah playing great. Right? So I think that four teams fighting for those last two playoff spots could get pretty interesting in the West.
0: Yeah, I feel Utah might still be a little bit too far back, but they were they were going to be our good before you you threw me the curveball. But I was happy, certainly, to talk about the Nuggets. Just quickly on the Jazz, they've won five in a row. Gee, was... We've spoken a lot about the Jazz this year, Daz. I don't think we can really add too much to what we've already said about that team. But since Gobert's come back, they've they've reached their sort of peak level of defensive intensity. Uh, and there hasn't been a cupcake schedule either. They destroyed the Warriors in Utah, a win over the Raptors in Toronto, beat the Spurs today in San Antonio. Uh, Ricky Rubio had his uh, greatest scoring night of his career, 34 points. Just got wherever he wanted on the court. He, he the first half was just a layup line, and then San Antonio made the change to cut off the basket, and he was just finding open three point shooters after that. And then if they. Clog off the three point shooters. He just put it inside, and Derek Favors or Gobert would have a dunk. So he just did whatever he wanted today, uh, and they had a nine point win, which is a comfortable win in Santana. I think it was a bit closer than the the score line suggested. San Antonio, well within one with two minutes to go, and uh, a costly turnover, a couple of bad mistakes, cost the Spurs there. But uh, and so the, to beat the Raptors an easy win over the over Phoenix, the Warriors and the Spurs, there's some pretty good. Good scalps to have, but I just feel like 24 and 28. They're, they're still about five six games out uh, of the of the playoffs at the moment. I feel like they might be a little bit too far back. Uh, another team, just quickly to touch on those that is on a bit of a run at the moment is the Washington Wizards, and we spoke about them briefly last week. We we're a bit worried about John Wall. Well, it came out John Wall is out six to eight weeks. But they haven't missed a beat since he's been out. And again, it's not been the easiest schedule. They've beaten AKC and uh, the Toronto in... in uh, oh, sorry, that was at home against Toronto that they won. And Sadoransky has come in at point guard. I like the look of this guy from a defensive point of view. Not the greatest playmaker. Can't shoot the lick. But at the moment, they're, they're sort of just saying to him, look, we don't need you to do that necessarily. But Bradley Beal and Otto Porter have taken the slack there. Uh, And it seems like things are coming near a little bit better. Now, I'm not sure if it's because they're they're sort of breathing a sigh of relief that John Moore's not there from a personality point of view and people weren't happy and there's a bit of a Chris Paul in LA situation or whether it's just because John Moore wasn't right and they're sort of deferring to him and, and waiting for him to take games over and he just wasn't able to, that that's where the struggles came from. But, I mean, have you seen any... I mean, if you want to add anything to the Jazz, you certainly can, or, or if you've seen anything about the Wizards so far this week.
1: Jazz, just a final thought. Was, you know, four of those five games in a row have been on the road. You know, they had two tough, you know, three-point wins, grounded out great finishes in, in Detroit and Toronto. And then, yeah... Again, don't underestimate. You know they've they beat Phoenix by whatever twenty or thirty uh, <laughs> last night, and then fly overnight, right? Second night of a back to back on the road. Yeah, you know, there's something like it's at eight. Well, they seven, got eight. into San
0: Antonio at six a.m., and Donovan yeah. Mitchell was out sick.
1: Yeah, that's right. But I I was just thinking, there's something like seventy eight percent, right? The eight, home team wins seventy six percent of these games, right? So you yep. sort of think, okay, and they and they come out and play a great they play a great game today. So um, just a really tough stretch of schedule, I just think that leads, it starts to point towards coaching, right? Just preparation, um, culture, team, believing in each other, just to kind of back it up. So I don't want to get too far ahead. It was funny, I'll
0: just touch on that. Watching the game today, the Jazz and the Spurs, they must have run the same play at either end of the court five times in a row towards the yeah. end of the game because, of course, Quinn Snyder from the, Spurs, uh, from the Spurs system, the Spurs announcers were losing their minds because they're like, we know that play. How can they not be defending that
1: play? We, yeah, That's no. our play. Don't we practice this? <laughs> yeah. So a good week for the for – so back-to-backs, winning back-to-back road games, very tough, four out of five on the road, two tough teams and – in the east um detroit's no pushover at home obviously you know whooping the dubs always you know feels good look you say the dubs mailed it in they didn't but i think all, utah just sort of broke their will a little bit not mm-hmm. that you break their will but there's, they sort of gave golden state reason to quit you know by just taking it to them the first half so really great week for them and again like today you said they were, did it without mitchell second out of a back-to-back as to washington i've only seen bits and i was just saying offline as well I'm, I'm getting the what I'm hearing is that it is a bit of the Chris Paul which is the get the grumpy ball hog off the court and let's see what we can do and I was just quickly pulling up box scores Daz, and the last two games pardon me you just look at um again my sort of telltale metric when your point guard goes out is what happens to the ball and the assists on made field goals it was 34 Four assists on 45 made field goals today and 30 assists on 44 made field goals. This is without John Wall, right? Now I'd have to go back and collect some data, but I would dare to say that's, that has got to be an increase over when Wall is on the court. And you've heard us, right, When we've what I've seen of, of Washington, when I start to see the wheels come off, they are a bit fragile. They're so Wall-dependent. I'd even say less. they're less Chris Paul-like, more russ-like and that they just everything runs through john right walls the 100 percent playmaker and initiator um that when he's not gone it's like oh you know training wheels are off so maybe the guys are finding freedom with it um so it's been i think it's nice to see and maybe again kudos a tip of the hat here into scotty brooks who was uh, kind of an easy punching bag over the years that he hasn't he's been able to do something that it, not let it devolve into ISO ball, your turn, my turn stuff, you know, Beal just chucking threes or, or whatever. So again, that's, it's a testament to the team when you can do that without your quote unquote star.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the question I guess is, and this is one you can only answer if you're internal with the team, but are they playing this way because there's a freedom that he's not there from just a, Personality, I guess, a team morale point of view, or is it more that he just wasn't 100% when he was out there and he wasn't able to do the sort of things that they would want him to do? So I think that's going to be the, the interesting thing to watch when he comes back. Yeah. How, how do they approach it? How do they play? Because, and the reason I bring that up is it's no secret now the Clippers were a very unhappy team for the last couple of years and we're now sort of seeing the total blow-up of the Clippers, which we'll talk about uh, in the in the later part of the pod. So that's going to be, I think, just the dynamic of this team is going to be something to watch, particularly if they continue to win. And they have stayed afloat fairly well after John Wall went out. So it is, I think it is something to watch.
2: Well, you he, just became... it is. You
1: just Again, I just I think that for me, the assist-made field goals metric is a key one then you look at the distribution, right? And just again at a glance today, it was Beal eight assists, Sadoransky six, Otto Porter Jr. five, Morris three, and Gortat an assist. So eight, six, five, three, one, right? What's that tell you? They're different plays and different movement, right? That it wasn't just Bradley Beale with fourteen assists, right? Just hogging the ball. They've got different stuff and different um different motions. And if you just have a quick look at some of the highlights, right, is the um and they just, I'm mean, sort of watching plays here on ESPN where they're sort of flashing the highlights. And what they're featuring of the highlights from the game today is two different plays where they had eight passes, you know, before um, someone makes an open three. And they're just, they're just running around. They're just running around passing the ball. Lots of, um, lots of feet motion, like guys moving without the ball. So macro data, micro data set, I don't know. Right. I think it's it's got to be more, I think, than just Wall wasn't effective. That's my impression. But, yeah, I guess time will tell. And, look, I guess there's a – you start to go, what's this mean for Washington? Is like you could start to convince yourself if they continue this for a couple of weeks that this could be a blessing in disguise, like what happens right with certain teams. Injuries happen, guys step up, a new capability, a new muscle is built – John Wall comes back in, you know, mid March or late March for a playoff run, and suddenly they're they could be stronger than they were before the injury. So that's a wishful thinking, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see if they can continue it.
0: Well, let's move on to the bad, Des, and this is a game that we both caught during the week, and that was the Nets and the Sixers, and I had a little bit of interest in this one. Uh, and I think I sort of talked you into watching it in the end. I'm not sure, I can't remember what game you were watching at the same time, but I think you were watching the Cavs, and I just said, no, I've no interest. That's right, you were watching the Cavs, Cavs heat. heat. Yep. And uh, I wanted to see uh, Jehela Okafor versus the Sixers, uh, which he came on and had 3,000 about the first three minutes. He, he came <laughs> back in the fourth quarter to his credit and played actually okay. But... I I was interested to see, I guess, from his point of view, but also as the game went on, I was more and more fascinated just by how poorly the Sixers were playing. They're just such a low IQ team. I just, and I know they're a young team, so you've got to give cut them some slack, I guess. But the, and they ended up losing the game to the Nets. It was a game the Nets always had well in hand, I felt. And if you really want to be a serious player of contender, these are the sort of games you just can't, you can't afford to. Uh, to drop but what, what was your thoughts watching the game uh, when you when you turned it over that day and and what what, what were your thoughts particularly on the sixers side of, side of the ball
1: well what was interesting right is that it was a pretty close game though, right so the, the nets kind of had had control but it was a high scoring game actually it was a one point game at halftime and then the Nets sort of rested control and it wasn't a um it wasn't one of those back and forth games it was the sixers just could never get over the hump and so what I what I was hoping for right in the fourth quarter was a okay, how was how is Philadelphia going to respond to being the superior team in the fourth quarter, you know on the road? How are they going to do this? How are they going to close it out, right? They've got their full complement, you know Saric, and' I'm, that was the other thing I took away from the game Des. is Sh- he's Sharich? Have I been, we've been saying Sarich, and the announcers are calling him Sharch, um, the whole whole day with the SH. Did you notice that as well?
0: Yeah, you... I've heard them, but I've heard different callers say it differently. I generally go with what Zach Lowe says, and I'm sure Zach Lowe calls him a sage. He would be. So that's what I know. thought. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's right. So anyway, I thought it was a bit of a people trying to call Thon McCour, but he just says call me Maker. <laughs> I severe. I severely digress. I was looking for what happens, right? What's going to happen in crunch time? and. It was bizarre, right? What was bizarre was um, I was watching, and basically, it was give Simmons the ball, uh, make it, let him create something, and dot dot dot, and he wasn't able to, right? He was pretty easily defended in the fourth quarter, and there, and this is not a criticism of him because he's so young and still learning, you know that you know defenses and, and are going to tighten up and the walls are going to be a little bit taller and the refs are going to be not so whistle-happy the you know, last five minutes of the game. But it was, it, it was not a test that he passed in terms of playmaking and uh, shot creation and making others better in a, in a fairly tight game down the stretch. That was what jumped out at me. Um, the other thing I noticed was just this is a little bit on, on Brett Brown as well. I just saw Sarich was ice cold ice cold. They ended up three for 12. It felt like it was three for 22, but these weren't close. Like, these were backboard first missed three-pointers, right? These, were, these weren't nice misses. These were, uh, he was off. It was one of those nights, right? And you would have liked him to see to make the extra pass, or better, you'd like to see him on the bench, you know, when guys, I think what I was texting you was uh, Justin Anderson and Trevor Booker and Amir Johnson were beasts, you know they played. You know when they were on the court, they were mauling, right? You know Skinny Allen and you know uh, um, Zeller had a little bit of a run, and and the and, uh, I guess whatever passes for the Nets' bigs. And so they were they were really effective. So I was hoping I, I was kind of hoping to see a you know a couple of thick players. You know with Covington, Embiid, and um, and Simmons, Oregon bench. Bench one of them and get Redick in there and get some thick bodies in. So I just thought they were pounding it so well and and playing so well with the big guys that they just didn't they didn't they didn't go back to it. So my my, my, my takeaway was this is Brett Brown going. You know what? We got to put our best five on the floor. We've got to put our starters on the floor. These are tests they have to take. And what we learned is I guess that's a bit low IQ, but I just sort of I think it's a fair thing to say. I didn't see complete you know like boneheaded what i saw from denver you know a couple times it just they just didn't execute right it, just, it was a bit uh, who are we where do we go how do we be so just sort of it felt like the you know the training wheels were on and it wasn't it wasn't a nice way to end the game that they they definitely could have won
0: well they didn't defend with any intensity either and uh As good as um, Embiid was on the offensive end, he did not play well. I I thought on the defensive end at all, and it makes you wonder. People saying he's a defensive player, and I get the defensive stats, but there's a lot of games where he looks like DeAndre Jordan. East, you know, he's he's putting up some some good defensive numbers, but the but the actual defensive awareness is not that great. And I thought Jared Allen really played well against him and and Embiid didn't handle his athleticism that well uh, in that game. The other thing about Philly, I think one one of the things they'd love to be able to do is just say, look, let's just run Simmons, Embiid, pick and rolls all game. But because Simmons can't shoot, everyone's just ducking under those and just sort of saying, well, look, if you want to run those, we'll just go back to the basket. And, and, you know, Simmons is going to have to attack the basket because he won't shoot outside shots. So that's where I think, theoretically, if Fultz can come in, and let's not we don't want to go in that rabbit hole again, but if, if, if the theoretical Markel Fultz that they drafted can come in and he presents some outside shooting threat, as well as some playmaking at the moment, they've sort of got some outside shooting in Covington and, and Reddick, but there's no playmaking there then they're going to be even more dangerous than what they are and then you can sort of see what they were thinking when they made the the trade for Fultz uh, originally. So uh, not not great news coming out of Philly if, you, if you're still following the Fultz story but fingers crossed that if he is able to come in and contribute the way they would have hoped he would have been able to contribute then you're going to see uh, the, the the sort of team that they would have expected uh, to, to build. And look, another thing, I'd like to see Simmons just on occasion rise up if you're open and just take the shot. We see Giannis do it. Now, I understand Giannis is a bit further down his development path than what Simmons is, but that's what I'd like to see Brown just say, look, you're going to miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So rise up and take it. If you miss a few, so be it. But at least if you start making a few, then you keep the defenses honest. Uh, the problem is, I mean, when he when he does shit, looks so terrible, he's going to have to make probably ten in a row before anyone gets too worried uh, about about not leaving him open. So th- there's still some development there from Philly, but th- but they're in a decent shape, and I think they're probably o- overachieved from where you and I thought they would be at the yeah. start of the season. But there's, there's, they still put in some clunkers like that, and that was one of the predictions I made this year. I said, I think they're going to come out in some games and you're going to go, wow, this team looks really, really good. And then they're going to come out and drop games to the nets and you're going to be shaking your head, wondering uh, where it all went wrong. So uh, we might move on though, Daz, to the ugly. And you know I'm out on this team, uh, but there are teams probably a bit closer to your heart and that's the Phoenix Suns. But one player in particular, and we were actually high on this guy last year. I remember us talking about him in one of our earlier pods. Uh, talking about Marcos Chris and the Phoenix Suns. but what, what's the latest news coming out of Phoenix and Marcos Chris?
2: Oh, it is yep
1: so the news is that Marcus Chris when the headline of the story is he's not officially suspended that's the, that's the headline. <laughs> But, Mark, you know, Marquise Chris will sit out. He was held to stay away. He's going he's gonna to see how yeah, he's kind of getting the Joakim Noah treatment, right? Which is he's going to sit out for a game for a, quote, cooling off period, right? Um, this is you know reported from the local Phoenix newspaper. And so I guess it sounds like what happened is he got into a some sort of argument and, you know, verbal altercation. We can only guess what that was like. But with the strength and conditioning coach... Right, so I don't, I don't have any deals, details about what that was about, but um, but basically the you know um, Triano or um, Ryan McDonough, the GM, refused to discuss it, only to say that it was a like a rules violation, and uh, he refused to answer basically any questions about it, I'm saying oh he might get fines and saying oh we're handling this internally, but so so what of that is he's, he's basically I don't know it had some sort of blow up. After a game they lost badly, and I think I'd have to go back and re-look at the tape, but a game where, you know, when they're losing by 30 at home, I'm guessing Marquise Chris didn't give maximum effort. I'm going to go so far as to say that. And I don't know what was sort of his, what his program or is on in terms of strength and conditioning afterwards, if that's indeed what this was about, or if it just happens to be the strength and conditioning coach was the target of his um, vitriol. But it's it's gotten so bad that they've actually had to ask him to basically cool off and not play. And it sounds like this could be more than just one game. That's the other thing here is it's, it could be more than just this, um, you know, stay away on Sunday. And we saw what happened to um, – with with Bledsoe and Bledsoe, you know, a vet who had all kinds of goodwill built up. Well, let's
0: just hope Chris doesn't gather the hairdressers with his girlfriend.
1: I just hope he has his, he's logged onto Twitter if he is at the hairdressers. <laughs> I can't wait to see what he says. So ugly is this continuing, um, uh, and it's not just ugly for Marquise Chris, right? Um, so that's the, the ugliest chapter. Phoenix would have gotten the ugly uh, this week, the ugly award, if the Smith Marquise Chris thing hadn't even happened. And why is that? Well, the other news which might segue into the trade is, um, they had to buy out Greg Monroe, and when um, you just traded your borderline all-star point guard and Eric Bledsoe for, right, this mm. this asset in Greg Monroe, like what, what happened two months ago, um, and a protected future first, you know, that's a trade that feels like it's more than the future first, right? It's a, it, here's a player that they were saying is an asset, and when they acquired him, they're like, yeah, we can... We can use him. Uh, we can flip him at the deadline, but he's definitely someone who's who's got value to us. And yeah, they obviously haven't uh, been watching the other 28 uh, NBA teams, and/or I guess the Milwaukee Bucks deal with the Monroe situation the last 18 months. But that didn't come true, and so they could get they they literally got zero value from Greg Monroe other than some you know empty worthless minutes in in December and January. And he's since joined the Boston Celtics. And so I go for them to, one, do what they did with um, Bledsoe at the end of last season, which we won't get back into. And then obviously what happened at the beginning of this year, have to fire their coach. Um, Then they dump Bledsoe. They've destroyed his value, trade him for, right? I think it still looks like an amazing steal for the Bucs. He's not playing amazing, but that's still a ridiculously one-sided trade. And then the half of that trade asset you get back is now you've told the entire league, well that trade asset's actually worthless. And so that for me would have gotten them the ugly ward all by itself. The only thing, and this is a this is the the slimmest of silver linings, is at least they dumped him, you know, uh, you know, five, six days before the trade deadline so he could do what he did today, which is, you know, jump into Boston. You do it after the trade deadline and it's just much tougher, right? When teams are teams' and rosters are gonna be a lot more set. So hmm trying to build a little a a micro a micro deposit in the player goodwill will bank in phoenix as they cut him loose so he could join another team and and he's done that but it's just a disgrace just a disgraceful management situation
0: well they've basically now traded bledzo for what's likely to be a second round draft pick uh given the protections that are on the the bucks first rounders now we've said the risk of the bucks first round they conveying next year is probably uh, going more in Furnace's favour, but you, you figure the bucks are going to be good enough to avoid being in that range, and they'd basically have to finish seven or eight in the playoff race in the Eastern Conference for that pick to convey. And I can't see them falling that far at the moment. So essentially, you've given a second round pick. I mean, what's your thoughts on Greg Monroe going to the Celtics? say we might jump from there now into the the sort of trade slash buyout side of the stories from the week. Is that, that Obviously, this is a guy you'd imagine. Now, the stories coming out was that New Orleans went very hard after him. They said, you're definitely going to start. For us, uh, Greg, if you come in, we're going to be a starting centre. they uh, They've Since uh, since he left, they went out and signed um, Amika Okafor, who I thought was... Well, he hasn't played in the league for five years. So that was a bit of a shock to me, whether, whether he, he may be the starting centre at uh, New Orleans, does, But we'll, we'll get to New Orleans later. Uh, we've, so but Greg Ramo, he went to the Celtics. People are sort of saying, look, it's interesting now because the Celtics are probably a more... Desirable destination than Cleveland. I don't think there's any probably about it. I think they're most definitely a more desirable situation than Cleveland at this stage. But how do you see the fit there? Obviously, it's going to be offence in the second unit, we're sort of thinking, because the the words coming out was that Aaron Baines is still going to start, but Munro is going to come in. And I've seen games already this year where Boston's offence can splutter a little bit in that second unit this is a nice guy. You can throw the ball down too low and just say, "Give us some buckets."
1: So, um, we in Bucksland, we started to realize that, you know, Monroe wasn't going to be the the answer as the starter next to Giannis, and, and certainly Giannis and Jabari, and getting moved to the bench, getting moved to the bench. Even with last year's Celtics team, he made sense. This year's Celtics team, he makes even more sense. So, before Monroe got moved to Phoenix you know, we'd been conceiving, you know, is there a, you know, is there a Monroe for Rozier sort of thing with some salary fillers? So we'd, we in Bucksland sort of viewed Boston as a very natural fit for him because he's a cerebral, he's a cerebral guy. He's a, he's a, if you ever heard him speak or heard him in any in-depth interview, but he's a, a very cerebral kid, you know, grew up in the Princeton style of basketball, you know, played at Georgetown obviously. And he's just, just a, he's cerebral is the best word I can say. And I go, um, and right. One of the things why would have attracted him to Milwaukee when he signed as a free agent is he was never in the playoffs with the Pistons and he made the playoffs, you know, with, with the bucks and had a, you know, albeit only six games, quite an exciting six games, taste of the playoffs last year. And so Boston makes a ton of sense for him, right? He's going to get probably at least two rounds of, um, of playoff basketball. And as a professional, right? He's a guy who took that benching in Milwaukee, very, very well. In fact, even almost, it almost raised his stature in the team. The way he handled it, um, you know, was one of the highest-paid players, and didn't didn't miss a beat, and developed a really good bond with you know the Malcolm Brogdon's of the world, and so he's proven to his you know to himself and to you know to players that he's a guy who um, is you know unlike fill in the blank Nerlens Noel, uh, Joaquin Noah, uh, fill in the blank players who just cannot get their head around playing a different role than they think they should play. Monroe's done that. And I have no doubt that Stevens will, will find 20 minutes a night, you know, and, and make the most of it. I have no doubt. I think it's such a logical fit on every level. He's a nice, he's a good guy, right? He's quiet. He's pretty efficient. He's a really good passer from, again, from that Princeton style systems. I have no doubt he'll fit in nicely and keep the ball moving. And uh, it's just a nice addition for them. Look, is he going to make a huge difference, you know, in terms of you know them approaching the finals? No, probably not. But he's certainly going to help them in the regular season. You know, play some minutes, develop a little bit different style, and he's a, he's a great locker room guy. So it makes makes sense. How you would not, how could you choose, right? He's the only reason he was thinking New Orleans. That's where he's from, right? He grew up in Louisiana, so a little bit of go home sort of thing, a little bit of the gosh, you know, boogie's gone probably would get more playing time, you know, with, um, with, um, with mm. Ashik gone and Boogie out. So certainly the playing time was a bit of an allure to him as he's heading into UFA saying, gosh, actually could I raise my value more mm. by playing in new Orleans? But I think, um, he got really good advice from his agent, which says, you know what, 18 minutes a night in Boston is going to be probably worth more than, you know, 28 minutes a night in a potential dumpster fire with Dell Dems. So, that's probably too long about going on about that, but I, I love it for him because there's a soft place in my heart for Monroe because he was a, right, we literally almost had a fucking parade for him when we signed in Milwaukee to watch what happened to him, watch how Kid treated him, and just handled it so well every step of the way, handled this Phoenix. Can you imagine you know, going from, you know, playing next to Giannis to playing, you know, on in that dumpster fire next to Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender? honestly so I yeah, just happy for the guy and i you know i hope he does well
0: well he's a competitor too does this is what i like about the guy i saw him in multiple close games with the bucks and he was the guy that was bringing everyone together in the huddle and just sort of saying this is what we need to do and obviously yarns is part of that as well but he was a real leader on that team and he wanted to be out there in the close games as Daz cracks another IPA in the background in case you're wondering what the secret sound is this week. But uh, Paul went out for Greg Munro's days in, in Phoenix, Daz. I think he's he's much more suited to, what, obviously, what's going to happen in Boston. And he's not going to be afraid of the moment come the playoffs. He's going to want to be out there. He's going to want to be on the line if need be take the big shots if they need to. And, and, you know, you need a bucket at the end of the game and people are double-teaming Kyrie. It's nice to be able to throw the ball down to a guy who is a good free throw shooter as well and can knock knock down and some buckets late.
1: He's also an underrated tough guy. Believe it or not, he took on the, the enforcer role with Milwaukee, right? You know, sort of seeing you know, Jabari and his knees getting blown, um, young, kind of quiet, humble, work-hard Brogdon, you know super quiet you know chris middleton on the court you know uh young still trying to find his voice as leader Giannis, he took on the enforcer so when shit would go down he was a first man into the huddle first man to break it up first man to confront you know their player that you know that said a lot for as well for this again he's also a quiet kind of small town guy right just this hard-working blue-collar kid i think that paired with the fire of a uh you know Marcus Smart and Aaron Baines. I think he's going to have fun with that. So he's, I go, and he's going to be a perfect locker room fit and a good, you know, good fit on that bench. So, um, good on him. And I'm curious. I couldn't find this. I was looking at, looking for it whilst I cracked my uh, my Pirate Life IPA. Who did the Celtics move? Did they have a? Is it going to fit into their injured um, player? Did they? Um, well, they got
0: used the injured player exception. No, I don't think they used all of it. Did they have to clear a
1: roster spot? Did they have to dump Uh, somebody?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. I don't believe they did that. I'd imagine they've just sent someone back down to the G League, but I guess it depends on whether they had a two-way contract guy there or not at that that stage.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard anything. I was (coughs) wondering if, as I started thinking about the Spurs, I kind of thought, is a player like a Shane Larkin, like who's the 15th man on the Celtics? And I struggled... To think who that might be, and I, I haven't seen it hit the wire if they've had to cut someone or if they've just been going with, you know, basically a 14 man roster. So, um, my guess is they might have sent
0: the French guy down whose name's escaping gave him me. Um, they call him the French Draymond. He might have gone back there oh, to the League, Uh which right. has happened uh, a couple of times already this year, even the semi or something like that. So, uh, well, let's get to the big news of the week, Daz, and that's obviously the Blake Griffin trade now. I was always brought up to think that you want stars in your team. But uh, today's analytical NBA, apparently you don't want stars. All you want is good contracts. So if a guy has a quote-unquote bad contract, you don't want to uh, touch him at all. I mean, when this trade went through, my first thought was, and just to quickly update in case you've been living under a rock, so the trade was Blake Griffin went to the Pistons for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban, Marjanovic, uh, <laughs> and it's 2018 first-round pick. And the Clippers sent back, obviously, Blake, Bryce Johnson, and centre Willie Rui. Ree. Willie is a, a decent backup centre as well to throw into that. Uh, he might be able to give him 10, 15 minutes a night, similar to what Boban was doing. So when I first saw this trade, I thought, well, look, if Reggie Jackson can come back fully fit and they can get just enough play out of their backcourt... I'm pretty low on most of these teams in the Eastern Conference. If they can sneak their way into the Eastern Conference playoffs, I don't think that they're necessarily going to fear anyone. Now, as you pointed out, look, there's still a lot of holes in that backcourt. Maybe there's one or two moves they still have to make. So they're certainly still a long way away from being a, a there contender for a title or anything like that. But I sort of thought, look, I understand where Detroit's coming from. I understand why they did the trade. Uh, didn't mind it, I guess, from the Clippers' point of view, although I think it left more questions than answers about how the franchise has been run over the past five years. But then more and more, I was sort of listening to some other pods and hearing some other people talk, and you know, there's people saying, oh, this is an F trade for Detroit, and it's an A trade for the Clippers, and oh, what a great trade for the Clippers, it's a terrible trade for Detroit. And I thought, am I missing something here? I mean, did you sort of have the same feeling? I mean, what, what, what was your initial sort of thoughts on the trade and were you surprised at the backlash with some of these analytics types uh, against the Detroit side of the trade
1: Uh, so I was really shocked by the trade so I was um, taking my Clippers wide angle lens from Ballmer to Jerry West to um, uh, Lawrence Frank on down I'm thinking this is not a team who has the stomach or the temperament for a rebuild and the 180 175 million whatever it was they gave blake was an indication of that now look i know they weren't all in place and west wasn't around uh when blake signed that deal but my impression was or in la you've got your star uh, cp3 is gone deandre is on expiring, likely very likely not to opt in so you're building around blake was my impression and that they were taking steps like they did last year to acquire a couple second-round picks, and Sandarius and, you know, Juwan Evans, et cetera, and Decker and, and Harrell are getting run. I'm like, okay, they're in this process of where Blake's going to carry them through this, this um, half-decade and be that anchor so that they can be in L.A. and still sell seats because he's quite a dynamic player when he does play, and he's changing his game. So uh, from L.A.'s perspective... I thought that was wrapped up. I thought if they make changes, right, it's going to be a DeAndre type change, right? An expiring, trading a rental if they can get a first rounder like they did last year, when they sold off. Um, Who did they sell off last year? They get a first rounder. My the Lou Williams trade. Right? Lou Williams trade. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And um, so um, anyway, I digress and. Uh, blew me away that he was tr- one that they were willing and two that that contract was tradable like who the fuck acquires a 175 million dollar contract on a 28 29 year old player who's at you know has 16 different injuries and who's literally in the process of changing his game from the explosive jump out of the gym player to a Right, trying to develop a jump shot and be a playmaker. I go, who does this? And that answer is usually Vade Divach, but.
0: (laughs) Well, it's someone desperate. It's someone that needs to make a big splash. Or, you know, like in draft day, when they say that Kevin Costner at the start, you got to make a splash in this draft, and that's that's so, maybe the message that went to Stan Van Gundy before. And you and I trigger. talked
1: about this, right, where you said, "I, I was again, I also then thought, I thought Detroit was going to go a different direction. Like I thought Detroit had pumped up the value of Andre Drummond. I thought, right, I thought, okay, Stan has been fighting for his job. They've been looking terrible." And I'm sorry, this this bullshit about oh Reg, Reggie Jackson's hurt. That's fucking Reggie Jackson. That's not Steph Curry or John Wall or Kawhi Leonard's fucking Reggie Jackson. So if you haven't been able to build enough of a roster to withstand Reggie fucking Jackson being hurt, you you're not doing a very good job. I'm sorry, you've been missing on your picks. And if you've whatever they've done to Avery Bradley or whatever Avery Bradley has done to himself, I don't understand how his value could have tanked so badly this year but it has um so i, I saw this as a beyond desperate right is i think it's what everyone sort of said and i agree and i think it's at the extreme end it's at the extreme end of desperate um in terms of the even less about the encore product right of desperate but to acquire a hundred and seventy five million dollar commitment and I'm fully with the thought process that says, you know what? And I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. You know, the, oh Blake, you're a Clipper for life. And we heard about how he was courted, and they're raising the banner, and part of the signing process. Oh, you're gonna see your name in the rafters. Like that's, that's yeah, that's fine. But he got 175 million dollars. You could, you could put my name on a fucking dumpster, all right? <laughs> I don't, I don't care where you put my name. 175, boom. I'm in, baby, right? <laughs> tell me tell me whatever you want to tell me. But, uh, so uh, I go, how did Blake not get a no trade? And I think the answer to the no trade is that $175 million over five years is a no trade. Who the bleep acquires that? So I'm, as I've gotten my head around, I don't think it's a horrible on-court trade for Detroit, right? I think... Tobias, again, you know, he grew up a buck. I know him quite intimately. I know his game. And yeah, that's Tobias. He's marginally improved in his six years, and he's a nice player. But that's it. He'll never make an All Star team, and he's a lot of empty calories. He's a nice kid, but he's he is who he is. Bradley has been terrible, and it's Blake, right? And Blake, on, even if he plays sixty games, is generally going to be sixty dynamic interesting interesting game so on a on court for the next let's say two seasons it's probably a really good deal for detroit what i can't get my head around is the, is the money from a detroit perspective right they've opened up this new arena no one's coming and i go maybe that's what's made this a perfect storm is that they're one of the I think, 22nd or 23rd in attendance and they've opened up this brand new stadium it's okay. a brand new arena so it's a GM coach, number one, eight-game losing streak, number two, point guard injured, number three, our most valuable asset is a center, Andre Drummond, No One Wants Him, number four, and a brand-new arena and owners who desperately need us to win because we probably should be in about the fifth or sixth spot, and we're not. So it is an absolute perfect storm for me for why this trade even happened so i was blown away on every level though but he was tradable i didn't think his money was tradable i didn't think detroit of all teams would be doing this sort of thing and so uh, i'm yeah that's where i land i don't grade it as harshly i, and I don't i definitely don't grade this an a going back to the clippers i go this blake fucking griffin and you got tobias harris right for a year and a half uh, you got six months or th- or thirty games of Avery Bradley. You want to pay him fifteen million a year next year when he's unrestricted? I don't think so. If you do, you're idiots. No, and he's a... not going to be
0: there much longer. No, though, I
1: think he's he's a rental, right? They might. No, look, could they flip him? Maybe, but he's they had a all terrible. They they
0: flip him, but he's he's not
1: playing well. There's no doubt about that. No, dead. it's been terrible. So kind of go. I take a step back and I go. You have a Hall of Fame point guard in Chris Paul. You know, number one overall pick. He's had an amazing, pretty amazing career, injuries aside. In Blake Griffin, and what do you have to show for it? Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, uh, Pat Beverly, Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, and uh, what? What's Detroit going to give them? Uh, eight number eighteen pick,
0: number twenty. Yeah,
1: yeah. fifteen to twenty. Rashad Vaughn, Jared mm. Allen, D.J. So Wilson. I DJ Wilson, right? You, you, you know, pick your, you know, yeah. what's, a, what's your hit rate down there? One in five, 20% hit rate? Mm. So I go, I don't know how people grade this in A. I don't know what bleep and measure other than they get a bump up for you were able to move $175 million of commitment for an aging player whose athleticism is going. Fair enough. That is a that's a bit of a stroke that you've been able to do that, but this trade is all about Detroit. This trade is all about Detroit. This is not, this is, you know, this is all about them and and Stan and his his place in the NBA. I don't. He's not getting another shot. Certainly to be a fucking GM coach. Hmm. This is it for Stan, right? If he if this team with this payroll at this level and the amount of authority he's had and the drafts he's had a chance. If he doesn't do this, he's done. He's, he's going to be next to his brother.
0: Well, let's look at it. From, from LA's point of view, this is what I'd say to the Clippers. Welcome to back to irrelevancy. You are now an irrelevant franchise. Now, whatever you say about Blake Griffin and whether he was overpaid or not, while Blake Griffin's on your team, you have relevancy in terms of people will want to watch you. There'll be some interest. There is now no interest in this team, as far as I can see. And Blake Griffin built this team. Yeah. I mean, who were the Clippers before Blake Griffin got there? You know who their best player was? They had Elton Brand. They had Brent Barry. Now, Brent Barry's known more as a spur. Ron Harper, known more as a Laker and a bull. Danny Manning, known more Cavalier. for his... Yeah. And a Cavalier. Danny Manning, known more for his college career, right? And and shocking injuries throughout his career. Who else do they have? Five minutes of Baron Davis, like Donald Sterling, like... This is a basket case for franchise. That's a good Blake point. Griffin yeah. comes along. All of a sudden, they're now relevant, right? They beat the Spurs in that playoff series. Should have made the conference finals that year, but blew it. Yeah, Chris Paul's not going there if Blake Griffin's not there, right? No way, Doc Chris. Doc Rivers no way not going there is. with if Blake Griffin's not there. He built the franchise, Daz. And now they're saying, how, how, aren't we geniuses? We sign him to this big contract. And then we move, it. and then they're all slapping each other on the back. Well, welcome to irrelevancy, Clippers. And when if and, and I'm now hoping the Lakers have a big off-season in free agency, and they can go back to the little backwater, piss weak franchise that they've always been. Because I just think <laughs> I just hate this move. I hate this move on every oh, level. Oh, do you? Right. And right. I just think to to just and as I said, just to say, okay. Go and build your, your great contracts team. You know all, the, all these analytics types, if they put together their great contracts team, they wouldn't even win 30 games. So you think, look, Tobias Harris is a, is a positive asset because he's, on, he's paid fairly, okay? Well, I get that. That's fine. But don't make out like this is a great add to your team just because he's on a decent contract. Uh, and... They're the ones, and and these are the same geniuses that signed Danilo Gallinari to a big contract in the offseason and now, oh, shock horror, he's getting injured every five minutes again. Well, what did you expect? So, you know, I I don't subscribe to the theory that this was a great trade. I think at some level you have to try and be relevant as a franchise. Detroit are now relevant in the sense that people will be interested in what they're going to do. Look, what does it raise their ceiling to? Maybe to the five seed or something like that. Uh, it's, it, it's highly unlikely it's going to win them a championship or anything like that. Let's not let's not boot around the bush on that. But there's value in saying we're going to be a playoff team every year and there's value in saying we've got one of the... Even if this guy's not one of the top ten players in the league anymore, Des, he's certainly one of the top ten most recognisable players in the league uh, no matter what he's doing with his game. So... I don't rate it an A either for Detroit, but I I give it a massive F for the Clippers because I just think you could have moved Blake Griffin back when... If if this was the... There's no long-term vision there either. So if this was the long-term vision of the franchise, they could have moved him years ago when he had massive value. Uh, and, And they certainly were aware of his injury history at that point. So I think there'd been multiple times they could have moved him. Uh, even when he was the expiring, deal you could say he may might have even got better for him. I'm not sure. So uh, I'm I'm totally out on from a Clippers point of view. And look, they, they, we're going to uh, let me say this. I think staying next season, I'll be surprised if we spend five minutes a year talking about the Clippers because they're just going to be totally irrelevant, and no one's going to care about them like they didn't for the the 20 years before Blake Griffin was drafted there.
2: <laughs> That's
1: harsh. Look, it's harsh, uh, but hey, it's, it's, am I it's, wrong? Yeah, I no, wrong? great. I, um, I'm not as harsh. I'm a hundred percent with you in that you had a borderline superstar, right? He's been um, all NBA, and in return you got nothing. I mean, Tobias Harris, neighbor, no one anywhere anytime are going to remember them for anything, right? They're not. That they're they're meh. They're rotation players, right? So I'm I'm with you in that they they've destroyed value. Of Blake Griffin now we understand they've had a changing of the guard right we get that right I think we all knew that they brought the band back together one year too many we knew it you knew it I knew it mostly NBA knew it we could see it on the court that we were fucking miserable and No one wanted to show up and play because they're just they're over it they're over each other and so right that but that was when Doc was still right making the calls with the roster so so you kind of go in in amidst the changing of the guard and the new guard saying, "What's our trajectory? what's our future?" Um, you can under I can understand the move. I still don't think it's the right move, but i I can at least understand the logic. But I'm with you in the in the critique of the analytics or I would call it lazy. Lazy and myopic view of the world to say, when you just look at someone as an asset, what, and look at them as a contract, you are by definition ignoring them as a human being, as a locker room presence, as a a personality, as a someone who sets standards, as a all those things, right? An on court performer, the way they affect other players, so on and so forth. So I think I'm with you in that. The asset, yeah, I get it, but that for me is only half the equation. That for me is what's not gotten nearly enough um, sort of, uh, I was going to put in my bad category was the, the national coverage of this trade from the Clippers' perspective, as I think, what did um, Chris Vernon call it? The media fellatio <laughs> of the L.A. Clippers. <laughs> I go, I'm with him in that. I'm with you. I'm not as harsh as you, but I'm with you. I, I agree. They've destroyed value of a former All-NBA player, I'm still at the end of his prime, um, and they will be. The NBA will be unforgiving. And you're right. I don't. I guess I don't wish them into obscurity. But I think. What's your path? You're gonna hit on a number 20 pick now, right? You're gonna. Good luck. That's your path. Okay. So good. Good luck. So which path is easier? Keep Blake and has 36, 37, 38 million a year on the books and try to do things and win 40 to 45 and build a team that way, that's not easy. That sounds really fucking hard. It also sounds really fucking hard to get rid of him, make them irrelevant, lose um, ticket sales, lose fan interest, and draft in the mid-teens with junk players. That sounds really hard, too. And so if this whole thing is predicated on free agents... Boy, howdy! Will Doc be there? Will he not be there? We've heard famously about the how very little cap space there's going to be in 2018, and all there's a glut of 2019 free agents. But my goodness, the bidders are going to be many for Jimmy Butler and so on and so forth. So this is all predicated on them attracting free agents because Steve Ballmer is not a process owner. He's not a let's haul draft picks in and build this thing for 2022. That's not Steve Ballmer at all. So I'm, that's why I'm so surprised it's gone this way. And they go, what's your fucking path to relevance with an owner like Steve Ballmer? And Jerry West is 109 years old, right? He doesn't want to go through a five-year rebuild. He doesn't be brought on to get paid $5 million a year to have them, you know, out in analyzing Lithuanian fucking prospects, right? What's their path? And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm flummoxed. So I'm, I kind of graded a, I don't grade as harshly as you, it's kind of a a C plus, C, C for the Clippers, and similarly for Detroit, only I go, it's a, it's a B plus in terms of the net talent, but it is a, it is just risk personified for Detroit, right, it is the highest risk possible move you could make, so. Mm. Anyway.
0: Well, the last word I'll have on it is, you know, when the Clippers play at the Stable Centre, and obviously they share that with the Lakers, because of the the Lakers' championship banners, they used to have to cover them up somehow. So how they used to cover them up in the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era is they'd have the the, uh, photos of the current stars of the team. So you'd have a photo of Chris Paul, (laughs) John Dredge, and Blake Griffin, etc. right? We'd cover them. You know what, after the Blake Griffin trade, you know what they did with the banners... They just put a big black towel over them. And are as far serious? as I'm concerned, by doing this trade, they've put a big black fucking towel over the entire franchise. <laughs> so, and honestly, are we going to sit here next season? We're going to be doing our pre-season. Probably we're going to be going the Clippers. What are we going to say? Oh, geez, I'm looking forward to seeing Tobias Harris and uh, Sedaris Thornwell and, um, oh shit, Austin Rivers. Oh, fuck. We're not going to be watching much of them. Let's move on. That's going to be our our preseason pod, but but do their geniuses because they've got all good contracts on that team. Well, give me a fucking break. So, let's move on. We'll so move I, on. I
1: love that. Sorry, I'm, I, it's not the last word, but what I've heard is that your sentiment is the sentiment of the lake of the Clippers fans. They're they they they're burning in effigy, right? They hate this. Times a thousand, so I think that reflects, right? That's what you've heard as well, right? Well, this would be like Clippers the Spurs
0: trading or... David Robertson in yeah. ninety-seven, ninety-eight.
2: Yeah,
0: you know this. This was a guy, David Robertson, was breaking down, couldn't get over the hump in the playoffs, breaking down. Uh, now, admittedly, look, everything fell the Spurs' way, and, and it ended up being all right. But that—that's that, it... the equivalence.
1: Well, Mike, well, it's it's trading Ray Allen, right? Because he all again different motives, different reasons, different personalities. But it's trading your your franchise. He's made this franchise, but they wanted something different. So it was the, the it ripped the heart out of the team. It literally ripped the heart out. And I don't. That's what I'm hearing from the fan base anyway. Is that this has ripped kind of the heart out?
0: Well, it'll be good. It'll be great to go to the Brent Barry jersey retirement in a few years' time <laughs> at the Clippers. <laughs> So let's move on to the uh, the next big trade. Well, the reasonably big trade. Nik- Nikola Miritic. Now, he was actually shut down by the Bulls. This trade got to the one-yard line. They balked at it uh, because uh, New Orleans didn't want to pay... Uh, the option 12.5 million for miritic for the next year so they wanted the, I think it ends up being a pick swap as well in the in the second round in a couple of years time so the bulls came to the party and gave a little bit extra for them to actually take that on so the exact trade is nikola miritic went to new orleans omar asik Tony Allen and Jameer Nelson went back the other way. Now, Jameer Nelson is an interesting buyout candidate. We might have a quick discussion on who where he may fit because I can't see. <laughs> Lord knows the Bulls knew the point guard does, but I'm not sure that he's going to stay there. Uh, look, I like this trade for New Orleans. We said last week uh, that they had to pull the trigger on this. Obviously, uh, Pelican's 2018 first-round pick, I should say as well and there's a couple of second rounders changing hands as I touched on. You said last week now I was of the opinion last week they need to look at trading Anthony Davis. You went the other way, you said uh I think they need to look at trading their first round draft pick. Well
2: and they've taken now. your
0: advice uh they've traded their first round draft pick. Are you are you still holding that line, or do you think that I might have had a point last week that maybe they should be on the phones trying to shop Anthony Davis?
1: The only way you sh- one you don't shop, no, you never ever 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 shop. That's that's, that's well, shops clear. probably putting too fine
0: point. But right? the way
1: someone again, I heard of one of the fifty pods I consumed last last week was if um, if uh, the you know I'm drawing a blank. If the chaps from Golden State call and said, "We'll give you Draymond Green and Clay Thompson," what do you do? And I go, "That's a that was a as simple and blunt as that is." Um, how does New Orleans say no to that, right? Draymond and Clay for Anthony, who's looking like you're never going to win, and he's going to leave for nothing, can compare to what's been happening with Jimmy Butler, with Paul George, with Blake Griffin. Kind of go, "Wow." two top 25 players. Maybe Draymond's not top 20 anymore. He's top 50, though. Yeah, but that's you've a... got the
0: same problem with them. You're not going to re-sign them. So I'd rather the trade I threw out last week of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Yeah, so I'm...
1: Oh, At
0: least you can... the, the, They're established guys. I wouldn't want established guys. I'd want young guys that we can say, we're going to build around these this young talent. Uh, and
2: I guess, I guess it's loans, easy to say
1: no to because right? they're young and haven't done anything <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm saying is, how, how do you make it difficult for them to say no because again, they're not shopping Anthony the phone calls are coming in and you know you know, and I know there's a 0% chance Ainge trading Brown and Tatum that's just not he would trade perhaps one with some for first but right, he wants to keep as many stars on the floor as possible I think Tatum would be. I don't know, what's your read? Who's more valuable, Tatum or, or Brown? Tatum by this point? Or do you think Brown's more valuable?
0: No, I think Tatum. But I, I don't. I, I disagree too. I don't think that that'd be off the table at all from Danny A. You
1: don't think so? Anyway, um, I do. I think. I don't think that's. I don't think that's in danger. But
0: assuming that's the case, I, I think that the Tatum is more would be more valuable to the Celtics. The yeah, more. I, I just think, think so. his trajectory. The the ceiling looks high. The shooting's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. that's
1: right. So words that have never been uttered. I love this trade. I actually love this trade for the Pelicans. I think Miritich is a really good fit, right? I think, you know, he's a big enough body to help do some rebounding. He can stretch the floor. They unloaded the Ashik contract, right? That's a big deal. Can you believe they got two? That has two more years on it. I can't believe they
0: got that Ashik. Trade off the books. That's
1: right. And <laughs> the so then, the bulls the are books. now. Look, it's a future first, but that first is going to be right mid-teens, late teens. You know, the Pels will. You know, it's not going to be a lottery pick. Well, it could be, but you know, it's a 15, 16, 17 sort of pick. so That's a decent pick, but it's not su- not super. But I I think it was a, a risk the Pels had to take. So to get um, to get Miritich and to lose Oshik, for the price of a first rounder. I thought was I thought was really really good value. The other price was that they had to guarantee um, the option, right? Uh, on twelve point
0: five mil for next year. Yeah, yeah,
1: which is for them is tough, right? But it's a you know it's not a lot of money in a vacuum. Was, you know they've got their own issues. But I really really liked it. So again, you don't hear this often. I, I like it. I really like it. I think I think Meritich will help a lot in in Boogie's absence. Well,
0: he can potentially play with Boogie and AD on the court as well.
1: Well, Boogie's not going to be back, right? But for a even long for next time. year, even yeah. if you're
0: looking forward yeah. to next year and you think, well, we might let's hope, you know, best case scenario, we've got another half of a season next year with Boogie, and and that's again, yeah. assuming they re-sign yeah, him, things like that. So this is a guy that can still fit on their roster, the theoretical roster that they were building. So it's not a massive. It's not like they've gone out and gotten another center, and you think that's going to replace. DeMarc's Cousins, so therefore they're off that trajectory. So they've still got the option, if if Demark's Cousins, if the if the rehab's going well, and if they think at the end of the season, look, we still want to move ahead and re-sign Boogie, I think Miritic is not going to be a bad fit on this roster.
1: No, I don't think so either. I, I like it for this year, I like it for next year, and the other thing they did, right, I'm sorry if you mentioned, I just missed it, but they've, they've also had to include Tony Allen and Jameer Nelson, a couple of you know, 36-year-olds who are, you know, obviously way past their prime. Uh, and because Chicago needs, you know, they wanted to have 15 um, ones and twos on their roster. <laughs> they're getting close. I think it's 14 guards, you know, Portis and marketing um, yeah, I think Lopez well, is there. But, just- so the, but I think both of them are going to get, looks like they're both going to get, um, they're going to both get released, I think. I think it was to, to match the, to get a bit of money off of, um, one gets money off of New Orleans, but then two give New Orleans, you know, some flexibility. I didn't think their flexibility would go to a Mecca Okafor. That is the fucking weirdest thing. Was it a ten-day deal, or did they sign him to a 10 no, ten-day deal. But oh, okay. so they're then probably I...
0: just going to see what he's got and if he's got anything left in the tank. Good
1: grief! Good <laughs> what on earth? In other news, the Bucks are signing Paul Mulkesky to a ten-day deal. The Spurs are bringing back David Lee. I mean, honestly. Is
0: David Lee's having too much fun these days. He's, there's I no reckon. way known no he's way. coming back to the NBA. But Jameer Nelson, um, this is a guy I could see fitting on the Wizards. Uh, they've obviously got some point guard issues, which we touched on earlier. Uh, that's a nice backup guy to come off the bench. And I guess if, we, if, if he was on the Wizards... They could look at it and say, well, what do we need? Do we need a bit of defense? Do we need a bit more playmaking, depending on the state of the game? I still think this guy's got a little bit left in the tank. Look, he's not going to move the needle greatly for any particular team. But if you've got a hole at point guard, and dare I say it, the best fit of any team would probably be the Denver Nuggets at the moment. But uh, if you've got a bit of a hole back up point guard, I think he he can still fit.
1: I think he fits in size 38 jeans now, Des. (laughs) He's... He's gone. I've seen. He's not. He's he's done. You know. He's like the, the little micro brown bounder rebound now. Oh Jameer.
0: I'd still take. Oh, look, I'd, I'd throw uh, a uh, contract hey, to I, me.
1: I like him more than Tim Fraser. As, as smart as Tim Fraser is, he's you know. Yeah, you know, I think Jameer will get a job. Let's be. Let's let's. I think he'll get a job. You're right, but he's not. Maybe maybe he'll go to Sacramento when they trade George Hill. I don't
0: know. Well, let's talk about some other players getting shopped. So Marcus Mart being shopped around for a first-round draft pick. Now, that's Woj reporting that at the moment. How much... Well, I think we can take it as a given if, if Woj is reporting it. But how much uh, fire there is beneath that smoke, I guess, is, is one... Um, that we're going to have to wait and see. Tariq Evans definitely going to be traded. He's been shut down so where do you see I mean first what did you make of the, the Marcus Smart news and, where, and who do you see as potentially a good fit for Tariq Evans because a lot of teams including the Celtics are actually uh, looking very closely at Tariq Evans at the moment.
1: I looked at that um, the Woj uh, uh, news about Marcus Smart and you know that they're willing to trade him for a first round pick in the in this same light, the Milwaukee Bucks would also be willing to take a first-round pick for Matthew Della Vadova. I looked at this as, who the... F, did Marcus Smart's mom call Woj? Like, who the fuck is giving a first-round pick the for Kings? a guy who, who is his... He's not just a bad shooter. He is an historically Markel Fultz with his left arm bad shooter. He can cannot put the ball into the basket he the lotion doesn't fit but he thinks
0: the worst thing is he thinks he's a lights out shooter
1: yeah his role is shrinking so a restricted free agent who probably could have earned i don't know 15 million a year or so if he would have been a free agent in the magical summer of gold in 2016 but he's what what kind of contract is he gonna he'd be he would be turgid the rest of his life if he got a Tony Snell contract offer, which is like a four-year, forty. No bleeping way is someone giving up a first-round pick to have the right to compete with someone with a restricted. No way. I will eat my hat and I'll <laughs> eat the cans that the pirate life comes in, Daz. If he got, if he got, if he gets a first-round pick, I wouldn't put it past w- Grunfeld. Oh my god, no.
0: I would not put it past any. Game. I,
1: no, I'm going to give credit to. I'm going to give credit. There's no way. There's no way that's. I'll happened. say
0: this quickly too. I think on these Boston players, buyer beware because we've seen it with the Spurs for many years. Guys that come out of these system teams and they look really, really good in their systems. And we've already seen it with Jay Crowder out of Boston. We've seen it with Avery Bradley out of Boston. I think you're going to see it with a few other players that teams are going to take chances on these guys, in, whether it be through agency or through trade, and they're just not going to play as well outside of that Boston system as what they do within the Boston system. That's something to watch out for. We've only had a few players. I know Jareb crows actually played quite well in Utah this year, so there has been some exceptions to the rule. But if you look at over the years, and we've touched on a few times, the amount of players that have left the Spurs, uh, including Gary Neal, the All-Bucks, Daz, a few years ago, that just have not hit at all. And I think Boston's going to be one of those teams that's the same. So I'm certainly on the same page as you with Marcus Smart. I don't don't see anyone. It's Uh,
1: non-news. His mom said it. I'm next. um, Throwing it first. These things make me... this This is as relevant as LeBron entertaining, you know, going to Golden State, which I'm sure the entire nation of Warriors fans and the entire Warriors locker room just laughed. Like, they would laugh, like, like they need him, right? And I go, what? Anyway, this is not, you yeah.
2: know.
0: He, well, what about Tyreek? Where, where's Tyreek fit? So Celtics, do you oh. see a fit there? That, that was the, the one that sort of was pushed, pushed the hardest. Um, but, they, look, pretty much every team in the playoffs, apparently, is after him as well. I mean, certainly, this is just a guy that you're looking at playmaking and shooting off the bench. I said the you would have preferred the Spurs to give the Rudy Gay money to Tyra Evans in the off season, and the Spurs would have already had him on the books. But uh, I haven't heard the Spurs in the rumours either. But where do you see him as a good fit? Even your Bucks have been mentioned, as. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, um, what, the question I go is, so we were just... Uh, obviously I'm unambiguous about my view on the trade value of a guy who can't shoot in Marcus Smart. Now Tyreek is unrestricted for this year, right? So Marcus Smart restricted, Tyreek unrestricted. Obviously Tyreek's quite a bit older and this has become a uh, clearly a renaissance year, but I go, is he worth the first rounder? And I think Memphis is waiting for that first round pick. He's probably worth like what Lou Williams was probably worth a, I guess I think he's worth a late first, don't you? Is he worth a number 22, number 23 sort of pick? That's right. That's where my beginning, I go, is he worth a first-round pick? Then I go, is a... Again, I'm actually looking at places like the Spurs, Daz. I go. Who needs offense that's serious about competing this year? Is kind of the Spurs... Well, I think I, the
0: Spurs think once Rudy Gay uh, comes back, that's their offense off the bench.
1: Yeah? So okay.
0: I think that's the thinking in San Antonio at the moment. Which is where okay. I would have just—I'd prefer Tyree Gay over Rudy Gay.
1: Yeah, so you know who's got their first-round pick? You know, obviously Cleveland does. You know, that could be a, a bit of a desperation move. Well, they, they get don't their don't own first offense. rounder. No, they don't need offense, but they—well, or do they? I mean, he, <laughs> they he, need a
0: miracle. Well, you they need Jesus to Christ to come on. And take they the do court. need a
1: miracle. They need a parting of the season You, know, you get him, and you don't have to play. You don't have to play Rose and. Um, Shump not that Schumper's playing much anymore, but he'd also sit Jr. a lot more. And unlike Isaiah Thomas, Tyreek Evans can actually put the ball in the basket and he can jump. So you know, as crazy as it sounds, he'd fit. I'm just looking for fits right, Daz, who, who's got a late first round and where does he fit?
2: Hmm.
1: I go Cleveland, Washington, yeah. It's a, that's a Grunfeldian move, isn't it's it? It's a Grunfeldian move, it? Grunfeld see,
0: move. It's the Bogdanovich yeah, move.
1: It's a bit of Bogger. It's a... And I go, that's and I don't see him fitting on Boston. Boston doesn't need a a score first. That's Terry Terry Rozier looks fucking good, man. I think there's a guy playing into this. Well, I also don't think um, Marcus Smart's worth much, but Terry Rozier has passed him by. I like that kid's game. He's a, he's a baller. So I think you just you're, when you're standing next to a player who's kind of emerging like like Rozier has, I think you also look a bit worse. But so I don't I don't like Tyreek's fit on. On Boston, I think that'd be a silly use of a of a Boston asset. To be honest, with their their first rounder as late as that's going to be, so I actually think he'd fit nicely on San Antonio, um, San Antonio, Cleveland, Washington, and who? Where else would he go? I guess Philadelphia, and again, their first rounders are getting more valuable, mm. and they're going to be you know fifteen, sixteen sort of range, right? And I go shit, that's a lot to give up for a rental. And so unless they are really, really Colangelo. Idiot, no, desperate.
0: they're not. They're not going uh, on in this
1: year. No, I, did, I would think not too. I think. Raptors have already
0: got CJ Miles, so they've basically got that player on their roster already.
1: Oh, so they're I think super they're, well, And they don't own their pick this year. <laughs> they, their That's pick goes big. to it goes to Brooklyn, right? For the um, is that Damari? Yeah, Damari salary dump. That's right. Um, so, um, so yeah. So I think. I like Evans. So though. I'm just I'm happy for that kid. He was electric, wasn't he, his rookie year? And it's just nice to see him kind of have a have a renaissance. And I'd also like to see Memphis get some assets. So I think he's um, another
0: guy that just never fell into a good situation. I mean, Sacramento's not been a good situation for anyone.
1: And had some health issues, hadn't he? Yeah. Since yeah. Rick
0: Adelman left. So, and he's had yeah. some health issues. So, look, I'd like to see him end on the contender. I'd like to see him get a decent contract. Potentially, he'll be his last major contract, you'd think, at the end of this season and see who who might be able to take a bit of a longer-term pun yeah. on him and see what he can what he can do. Another guy being shopped so there's a number of these type of guys, I guess, being shopped. Damari Carroll's actually had a nice year, a nice little comeback year in, in Brooklyn. So he's being shopped around at the moment. So they're the sort of guys that you think these playoff teams, like what we saw with Bogdanovich last year where they're going to go, well, where's where's the gap in our roster? And let's throw uh, one of our first rounders, which essentially, you know, w- once you get in the San Antonio range, you're almost talking about a, a second round pick. But at that point, all boot in the early second <coughs> rounder. Um, and we've seen from the Lakers this year, you can still strike on those if you get a Kuzma or, or, some, or a player of that nature. So they're not, uh, they're still quite valuable. But for these teams, they're in win-now mode these sort of picks aren't going to necessarily move the needle for them uh, going forward so it's not a move the San Antonio have made uh, historically San Antonio have been more interested in the buyout market rather than uh, trading first round picks uh, but Washington by the other on the other hand have been very active in that sort of sense so I guess we're going to see more and more I mean are there any other sort of players that you're particularly looking at at the moment does to, that you're expecting to be traded or you would like to see traded from, from some of the sort of the bottom three of the teams in the league?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's the usual cast of characters. I'd like, you know, we've talked about George Hill. Um, Scal Labissier is meant to be available, which is a, <clears throat> a different sort of sell-off, which is a, for whatever reason he's either fallen out of favour or they haven't seen enough from him or they just decided they you know, maybe there's a chance that they can you know get some getting the first rounder for him. So that'd be interesting to see if someone takes a punt on scale, but likely that's a team who's, you know, more actually in the lottery. Um, I'd still like to see my, uh, I'd like to have a, you know, free Tyson T-shirt, you know, free Tyson Chandler from uh, the Dumpster Fire uh, in Phoenix, I'd love to see him land somewhere. I'm surprised anywhere. he hasn't
0: said that he wants out, or he maybe he's just not that sort of character. That's not
1: his nature. Not no, his
0: not. nature, but gee, he'd, no. be a, he'd be a nice fit anyway, just to, as an extra guy to, to come yeah. off the bench, or even as a yeah. starting center for certain teams, uh, including your guys there in Milwaukee.
1: Look, we've been, the Bucs signs been talking about him for 18 months, as a, you know, They before they went with Monroe, right, they were free agents in the same summer, so that was a big a big question is, would you rather have a Chandler or a young guy like Monroe? So um, so I'd like to see him land somewhere. You know, who could use some front court help? You know, obviously I think we've seen New Orleans has already kind of, you know, sealed their fate, but I think you could see Chandler landing on a, you know, um, I can't, a Cleveland or a Milwaukee or or something like that. Um, similarly, I'd like to see less of it. He's in less of an impact than... And Chandler, but Jared Dudley. I think his contract's pretty unmovable, but I'd like to see him freed up. And I also like, I'd like to see this jerk-off Nerland's Noel. I'd like to see <laughs> Dallas just set him adrift. You know, maybe they, you know, maybe you send him to send him to Phoenix. He, Phoenix deserves, <laughs> and and he deserves a treatment like in in Phoenix. So um, yeah, I think I think he needs to go. And then I, interestingly, I, I I think what's been happening. Now, less looking at players who are on crappy teams and should go because that it's quite a long list. You got the whole Knicks guys. I think O'Quinn and Willie Hernan Gomez. I think the Knicks will probably make some move. I think Brooklyn would love to shed, you know, Crab or Carroll or someone, or you know, sell some stuff for some future seconds. Even I think they're gonna they're gonna sell whatever they can sell. Orlando, I see less as a seller. I think they don't really have a lot that's attractive maybe they've seen... Well, they've enough. only
0: got Aaron Gordon. That's their only asset, essentially. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I kind of go, yeah, if you want to... Is someone going to buy the Hazonia, you know, story or something? But um, but what I was thinking about is a player like... Uh, I'm thinking of a team like Washington, right? And I go, would they trade a player like Ubre, who has kind of developed, right? He's kind of become a 3-and-D player, a bit, a bit athletic... And was there a team who would, you know, take a chance on a? I don't know if he can, how old is Oubre now that I'm thinking about this? Um, Kelly Oubre, my guess and he can would be, be 24, 25.
0: Yeah, my guess would be 24.
1: He's 22. 22. Christ, he's only 20. Jeez, he's, he was young coming out of the draft. So he's had a decent season, right? He's got his three-point percentage way up to 38 um, and can play some decent defense, you know. he's He's all right. And so he's kind of starting to prove his, you know, medal on a, you know, cheap, cheap contract. So for me, the question is: Would a team, a Grunfeld team, take an ascending uh, player like Ubre on a really cheap deal? So he'd be like the like the Brogdon equivalent. Flip him for something more certain. So that's for me. I'm kind of looking for what Washington's going to do. They, they're for me like one of the big. They don't have tons of flexibility, but they've got the volatility, right? Are they going to do something crazy? So Ubre, you know, Gortat doesn't have much value anymore, but Ubre would. So I kind of go, if they could get a player, I think it'd be interesting to see who would take a bite on Ubre.
0: Well, there's these teams. I think in the East at the moment, they're looking around, Daz, and they're saying Boston's a year away from being as good as they're going to be when Haywood comes back. And I think a lot of people, probably like us, are thinking this is a very good regular season team. Not convinced they're going to be able to bring it to that level in the playoffs. The Raptors are unproven in the playoffs. The Cavs will talk about it again a the minute they're an absolute mess. This Eastern Conference is as wide open as it's as it's been, really since LeBron first came into the, into his own, which is sort of talking about sort of 07, 08, that sort of range. Uh, it is it is there for the taking. I think that's one of the reasons Detroit made the move that they made, and I think Washington are looking at it. Uh, the Bucks are no doubt looking at the looking at the the overall landscape at the moment and thinking, why not us? Why, why can't we beat that? There's no term that they're going to be scared of. So that's where I think you're going to see some of these moves. And yeah. I think the other interesting point i quickly make about Blake Griffin, this is the first big name player to move from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference, unless I'm missing someone. But most of the big names have hey gone Ward. to the West. Now this is the first guy to go to the East. Let's hey see Ward, if it's... Haywood, yeah. but well, we haven't seen him yet, sadly. But th- this is, you know, yeah. this is the big, the big move. Are we going to see more guys come back to the east? Because now it is wide open. Because LeBron coming to the end of his run, obviously still a great player. But and I said this last year, and I think it holds true. This last year, I felt, was the last year that just by having LeBron on your team guaranteed you were going to win the Eastern Conference. I don't think it guarantees it. They're still the favourites, the Cavs in my eyes, despite what a the mess they are. But I don't think just having LeBron in and of itself guarantees you the win. I think we're seeing some of the moves from teams um, that shows that. So, look, there's, it wouldn't be a Daz and Daz podcast if we didn't talk about the Cavs. It wouldn't be any NBA podcast if we didn't talk about the Cavs. They're in the news all the time. Inadvertently this time, because Kevin Love breaks his hand, uh, he's out six to eight weeks. Just quickly on your Bucks too, Malcolm Brogdon also out six to eight weeks. That's a that's a tough loss for the Bucks and their second unit scoring. So that might be also some thinking, I guess, for them in terms of uh, when they're looking at the trade deadline. But what were your your thoughts? I mean, you can quickly touch on it from a Bucks point of view. But what were all your thoughts from Cleveland's point of view? And they've obviously had, they haven't really responded. That well, they did beat Miami in an absolute rock fight, uh, which was an ugly game. But today they were absolutely blown out at home uh, at the hands of Houston.
1: Yeah, so you heard me say last week, right? Or maybe this was offline. Where I've, I've, um, I'm a bit on Kevin Love Island. I think he has gotten way too much blame and not enough credit um, over the last couple of years for how he's played, how he's kept quiet. You know, how he's, you know, we've even joked here, we have, you know, he's a bit of a doormat, not invited to the party. I think he's been disproportionately blamed, not given enough credit. Um, And, you know, I think we were saying to Cleaver in particular, you know, when your life is now playing the five, which you don't like to play and never wanted to play, and your wing defenders are Derek Rose and now Isaiah Thomas, your point defenders and your wing defenders are completely disinterested jr smith and lost three steps over you know over last summer j j crowder you know it is a tough tough ask he's just been bludgeoned inside so it's from what from what love has had to endure again i'm not gonna you know cry too hard for a guy on a bazillion dollar contract um but he's not been put in the position right to be to be great um So I feel feel bad for him. You feel bad for him and what he's endured, right? What does it mean for the Cavs? As I go, the Cavs are LeBron, right? So if you're LeBron and you're looking around and you saw what happened with Kyrie, now your fucking retarded front office handled that, and you've seen how um, Isaiah now has come back, he is a (laughs) G-leaguer, barely. Um, can't lift, can't run, can't shoot, can't jump, can't defend. He literally can't do anything, from what I've seen. He's basically become Tim Fraser. Um, And you've got uh, J.R. Smith, who is having a career. He looks like he's career cratered. And Tristan Thompson looks like his career's cratered. And they don't even play Shumpert anymore. You know what? To be honest, Shumpert could actually be devastatingly injured or he might have played today, I literally would have to look it up. I don't know if Shumpert even plays anymore. Well, he's Derek, out of the
0: rotation, now. He's definitely out of the rotation. He's
1: out. Derrick Rose may or may not be. And what's funny, What's you, you laugh, but you, t- you tell me if you agree with this. You know who plays harder than anybody is fucking D. Wade. Twain Wade. He's had a good
0: year. Chase
1: down blocks, and he's... I'm just talking about effort. Forget production. I'm going, that fucking guy plays hard. Doesn't he?
0: Well he's the only so one go, that looks engaged
1: in play the play. Hey, he's play the play play to play. So if I'm LeBron and I'm looking around, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a baby GM and Kobe Altman, right? I'm seeing my my petulant owner who's always in the back of my mind. I now I go, Oh, or well, the ways we can pr- improve our team as man, do I do I cut bait on K Love, who we've asked to sacrifice everything and change his game. He's the last asset, right? He's the last real valuable asset in his prime, physically fit, really capable, you know, top 20, 30 player in the league. Um, Valuable asset. Do Do we trade him for something different to just change this up? And he goes and breaks his hand before the trade. I guess better before the trade, you know, and I guess not better. So he's removed a very removed of an avenue for this team. So horrific timing. You know, before right before the trade deadline, and so uh, what this means for them is I am now fully. I haven't said this right. You've you've heard me say repeatedly. Wait till Isaiah comes back, and then we'll see. Okay, Isaiah is back, and we've seen how they played, and I do not. I'm now with you. I do not see a path of improvement. I think even if they trade, the Nets pick, which is what number seven, number eight. What's that gonna net you? You know, is that gonna get you George Hill and Scalabusier Maybe. You probably have to send back Channing Fry, you know, to make the salaries match. So kind of go, okay. I go, what does that first round pick get you? It's not getting you a Jimmy Butler. That's not getting you a Dennis Smith. That's not getting you uh like what is that actually gonna get you? Uh so I think they're stuck. I genuinely, genuinely think they're stuck. Their last tradable asset, Kevin Love, is hurt, and this team I think they, we just—we all saw vividly today—they are universe behind the second best team in the other conference. So you know, they would be what the fifth best team, sixth best team in the West, right? They're not better than OKC or Minnesota. They're definitely not. I mean, well, they're I not behind. better than
0: Utah right now, right they're
1: not now. Better than Utah, right, right now, right. <laughs> And I go, this is different. This is not just this is not just last year Cleveland coasting. This is vividly, markedly palp palpably? Yeah, palpably different than last year. Last year team was off switch on switch. It was like the Golden State in the second half of the Utah game. They just ran around. Right? This team they just don't have any talent. I mean, well then, no this was the
0: to... thing, Des. I mean, yeah. when they were on the big win streak, and I remember saying this to you, I said, I can't believe LeBron is pulling these games out against the Kings, against the Nets, against the Bulls. And this was before Miritich came back. LeBron was putting this team on his back and single-handedly winning those games. And I'm thinking, he's got to do this against Bulls, Nets. Like, last year he was taking them games off and they were maybe eking them out without LeBron. This year he's having to put up 30 points, 10 rebounds, assists, just to get them over the line. Look at his box score today. He played 31 minutes, which is not insignificant. Shot 3 of 10 from the field. 9 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 steals, 1 block. So he still fills up the box score. But I'm seeing, and if I put my Bill Simmons body language doctor hat on, oh, he looks dejected, Does as-
1: That's what I was going to tell you. He is, he is, he looks to me like, uh, uh, what year was that, 2011? 2010 with the Celtics series, you just know he quit. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like he. You can see it in his eyes. I I just look at his eyes, the body language on the court. Yeah, guys take games off. Tiesgate guys take plays off. Guys take series off. Guys take quarters off. He takes time off. That's fine. I actually don't criticize him for that. I see it in his eyes, in his tone of language, and you know, say the stuff. Well, he should take us off national TV. It's not that he's saying take us off national TV. Look at his eyes. He has you know he's he doesn't have that cheeky i'm hiding something like last year it's kind of he'll say anything some stupid something smart something goofy but you always sort of knew he's got that bit of glimmer he's he's keeping something from you he is he's exposed bear that's much time. i mean, he looks and I, i'll be i'd love to be proven wrong again if they come have some renaissance and win 20 in a row I just, I just, I it's not in his eyes. I don't see it. Well, Isaiah that's Thomas
0: is shooting 23% from three. Does
1: he's up to 23, and, and that's up, in 13 that's games, so it's no longer a small caught,
0: sample size.
1: As I say, he caught five today. He's two for eight. <laughs> he
0: was eight for four from three.
1: <laughs> oh, was he? Right. Yeah,
0: five of 13. So, so you,
1: you heard me say it um, in the offseason. I'm going to say it again. Him playing in Houston just makes so much sense right it's not golden state it's chris paul it is now a team as you saw firsthand today uh amen to lr mam luke richard pj tucker clint capella trevor ariza team that can defend and can defend intensely when they when they want to obviously with chris paul there chris paul is his I go you tell me you tell me this is a non-zero probability that he goes home and sleeps tonight and he know what do you think LeBron thinks his chances of winning the title are now having been through what he went through last year what he thought his team was right they were historically good on offense I think he thought they could be historically good in 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 seven games and pull it out right and he was wrong and this team is much 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 worse LeBron's not fucking stupid. LeBron's does some ridiculous crap, but he knows way better than you and I know that this team is not going to do it. So the question is, what's he do about that? Does he keep quiet, give it a crack, and, you know, probably lose in whatever, lose to Toronto or Boston or, fuck, even Milwaukee or Washington? Or does he, does he take control of the situation? and that's why i was saying it. there is a non-zero probability that he's traded to houston in the next 6 days as crazy as that sounds i oh, look i'm not saying that's 50% i'm still putting it at 10% but i think that's a i think that's got to be on the table if you're lebron
0: oh i think it's i think it's highly unlikely maybe 5% i'd go but i i agree, i agree with you i think it's a non-zero but it's it's not <laughs> do, you much. Say,
1: do you believe he is okay so do you believe he's got a pulse of the season and knows that they can't win? Or do you believe that he thinks there are pl- there are enough assets in the Cleveland war chest and moves to be made? Those are two big variables. Do they have the assets? Can they move the assets? And will those assets propel them up to above Boston, Toronto, Washington status? Do you believe he believes in... Like, no, but this is a guy too a that... Bunch of things. You'd this is a guy a that's number one
0: is about his legacy, right? And I just think he's going to look at it and say, what does a mid-season trade to the second best team in the league, me jumping off this team that I can't lead to anything, what is that going to say about my legacy? And then all the negative press that he's going to get from that and the circus that's going to follow him to Houston and all that sort of stuff. I, just, I, I think it's a bridge too far for LeBron to do that. Um, And I'm not even sure what the trade would look like. I mean, I sent one to you that would be, I guess, the kind of trade um, that would look like, which would basically be Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, some first-round pick or a first-round pick that was protected for the next couple of years. Because Cleveland are in a position where they're probably going to lose him for nothing in the off-season. I think what you're going to see more and more from these superstar players, and not even LeBron, is is the sort of sign and trade route at the end of the year. And if he's going to go to Houston, I think that's more likely going to be the case because then you're going to the Cleveland and you're saying, look, I'm leaving like Chris Paul did at the Clippers. You can either have this deal here, where you get something back in the sign and trade, or I'm going to go and sign for the Spurs and you get nothing, or the Warriors or wherever it may be. So I think that's what you're going to say. But I think it's far more likely to happen at the end of the season. The clock's ticking on this already, Des. I mean, he doesn't have six days. He's got five days to do this. Uh, and word of it will get out pretty quickly um, if he goes and
1: approaches the front office about it. Look, I, I just think that, <laughs> I, I, look, like I guess it's a 10% chance, but it was 0% a week ago, right? Or 0% before Love got hurt. Because I think I still saw avenues for them to either flip him Well, look, if, I'm the, if or... I'm
0: the franchise, I want to trade him now. I mean, if, if he's legitimately going to leave and it looks more and more likely that he will, um, I'd be certainly wanting to trade him now because well, you're not yeah, winning with this team. That's
1: what I'm saying. And <laughs> LeBron's legacy, I, He know, I hear you, but that clock is ticking, right? I'm... I, I, above all, I think even above legacy, because I think he thinks his intense focus will take care of the legacy, is this is a wasted year. This is going to be an irrelevant, nothing, go nowhere team that fades off into nothing, right? And I go, question, is LeBron okay with a team like this? Is LeBron okay with running out into the playoffs as a five seed or a six seed with, um... Uh, a one-legged Isaiah, a one-knuckled Kevin Love, uh, and, and distrusted Tristan, JR, and Schumpert. I, 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 is he okay with that? And does he believe he can actually go to war with his team? And I think that he believes that he knows that he can't. That's why I'm giving it a 10% in the next five days. So I, I think he's like, this is a wasted year, and Ooh. he at his age doesn't like to waste years. That's why I think he'd take the risk. Well,
0: here's the problem I think from from LeBron. If you want to talk about legacy and his legacy, uh, into particularly as it pertains to Michael Jordan, and I'll see you about this today. Just think as how many signature playoff wins in terms of series does LeBron have in his career? I'd argue it's less than five in this terms isn't? of how many signature playoff victories in terms of series. So great teams that LeBron has beaten in a playoff series it's not even five
1: because it's got of the three fact nba titles, right?
0: Well, so you've got the Spurs and the Warriors definitely there. If you wanted to stretch it, you could say OKC who they beat for his first title, but they were to me a couple of years off being what they were at their absolute apex, right? But any nba title you can make the aim it. that's a great win. I'd say that OKC team wasn't even the second-best team in the NBA that year, but then we can go into a rabbit hole where I'll whinge about officiating in the Spurs OKC Western Conference Finals. But we can give them that. But then you look at all the teams LeBron's booting in the Eastern Conference. Who are the great teams that he's booting in the Eastern Conference over the years? Maybe Indiana... The end of the Boston era Celtics, if you really wanted to stretch it out. like, And I understand that's not his fault, but that's when you're talking about legacy. You can't really look at it and say, well, he, remember when he beat that great team, or he had that great series, or this? I mean, it was the Spurs and the Warriors series that really made LeBron into the legend that he became. But in in the Eastern Conference, he's never going to get that. So that's why I think going to the Western Conference makes some sense for him because at least then you can be a part of... I mean, how many signature playoff series have the Spurs been a part of in the last 10 years? Some, some won, Certainly. some lost.
2: Yeah. Okay. How many
0: is LeBron been in?
2: I, just, I don't Three? think he
1: measures things in signatures. I think he measures them in titles, right? He's chasing He's chasing Jordan. So, no, so I hear you, and I think it's a fair question. Are you questioning the number of, can number of scalps he has along the way? Are you, or are you sort of just questioning? I'm thinking he,
0: he, he, think 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 he, he, he looks at this. I think he he looks at this, does, and says it's going to be an asterisk if I can keep winning these Eastern conferences. But you know that's why I think that because I was questioning myself, I guess. Why does he want to go to the West if he can change to another good team in the East? He can continue to win titles in the East and get to the NBA finals, but. I think if he goes to the West, you can be part of some of these great series that we see almost every year. Sadly, last year we didn't really see it outside of probably San Antonio-Houston, a really classic series. Uh, And that's what I think he wants to be a part of because that's what builds legacies. You You look at Jordan, the battles he had with Utah, the battles he had with Phoenix, the battles he had with Portland, New York... You know, even some some good battles with Miami over the years. Although you know they they handle them pretty easily. Uh, the late the later year Indiana Pacers, that took them to seven games. Like, you know, just off the top of my head, I'm rattling off those great series that Jordan was a part of. I'm sitting back thinking about LeBron and thinking great playoff series, and I was like, well, the Warriors, the Spurs, yeah, uh, okay, Look, see, I remember that, maybe remember the,
1: the the pinnacle Pacers with. You know, with with Pete Hibbert and David West and Paul George and George Hill, that team that was a good one. Know, that, that went that seven a, games, so
2: I, I was, was willing a, to yeah. give him that one. Yeah, and obviously the also,
0: performance he had in Boston uh, when they were down three two and they had to go to win in Boston, that was one of his signature games of all time. Yeah, so yeah. there's been some moments, but certainly not. Look, I guess the other on the, thing on the is, same is, level.
1: Again, his, his you know, again the years with the Heat, they were just so much better than everyone. It's hard to get a signature when you're that much better, right? You know, when you, you right. So, well in
0: the East they were. I wouldn't obviously, argue they were in, in terms of the West.
1: Well it of course just, then that gives you that gives you one chance to get a signature that's my point. Is it on yeah well, then, that's chance the, chance.
0: That's the point of the point yeah. of the east. But yeah. anyway, yeah. look, we digress. I, I think we'll wait and see at the see of the season of the season of the I think there's, there's a sign the trade of the on the cards. At the end of the season, we've already seen the magic that Daryl Morey can pull off. In that, that may come down to the fact that whether Cleveland want to let him leave for nothing, and go into a full rebuild straight away, or try and get something back. Because the problem with getting a Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon back is you're actually going to that's going to add wins to your total, but certainly not make it any more relevant in terms of playoffs. Um, but it's going to hurt the draft pick that you'll have at the end of the year. So these these sort of factors. Um, come into the thinking, I guess, for what Cleveland may or may not do. And my my thinking on Houston has always been, it's going to be very difficult to move that Ryan Anderson contract um, unless Vlade comes calling and, and thinks that he's the answer to your prayers um, out there in Sacramento. So, Del
1: Dumps. Yeah, <laughs> Del
0: so, Well, he's already been on New Orleans, so I can't see them going back to the well again. Just quickly on Houston, I watched Houston and the Spurs, um, and you touched on it. This team's legit as they are playing defence far better than what they played last year. And you're seeing now that my only worry, I guess, with Houston is is a possibility they're going to run out of gas again. Um, D'Antoni's still using a very uh, um, small rotation. Having said that, he's not playing Chris Paul and James Harden much together. He's staggering the lineups almost exclusively. Um, they play the start of the games, the and then end of the games. Uh, I watched the entirety of the Spurs game, and and that's exactly how it played out. And actually, when James Harden was off the court, I don't think Chris Paul was 100%. So the Spurs saw the man of the few mini comebacks during the time when Harden was off the court uh, and did quite well. But Doing that, I think, is hopefully, for their, from their point of view, going to preserve Harden's energy a bit better than what it did last year. And internally, Houston have said, look, what happened in Game 6 last year was 100% fatigue, James just ran out of the gas, and we're working towards making sure that doesn't happen this year. And as far as I'm concerned, as the MVP race is over unless James Harden gets injured. I cannot see anyone beating this guy. LeBron's sort of fallen off now with, with all the dramas of yeah, the Cavs. Done, yeah. uh, I think he's done... I think Steph and, and Kader sort of vulturing each other and he was just overworldly against the Spurs. I mean, the Spurs just had no answer for what he was doing. Some of the passes that he's able to pull out of his backside, that you just... You think... Uh, maybe only Ginobili would be the only one else on the court that would have sort of seen, and he certainly doesn't have the skill to do it anymore. And then he's got the shooting as well. Um, So the 60-point triple-double, of course, I saw that game, and that was 60 points, Daz, in the flow of the game. That wasn't Devin Booker 70 points in a blowout. That was a close game, and if he doesn't score that 60 points, they don't win. Now, there were certain things he did in the game, like the kicking the leg out on the three to get the four-point play, which make you pull your hair out, and they're the sort of things that make us uh, dislike him and, I guess, root against him at times. But the skill the guy's playing at the moment is just uh, unbelievable. I, I, didn't, I honestly didn't think he could raise his level from what he did last year, but he somehow has. And to be fair, he's at least attentive on the defensive end and he certainly was in the Spurs game I didn't watch much of the Cavs today but they kept the Cavs to 88 points so that's another feather in the cap for this team defensively and with the defensive talent around him he doesn't necessarily need to be a lockdown defender which he's never going to be anyway
1: I'm just glad you're finally coming around (laughs) so I go go I was you know go like I was saying last year criticizing him for his defenses. You know, like, you know, criticizing Thon Maker for for not being, you know, six feet tall. Like, you just, he, that's not who he is. When you had to do everything, every minute of every play, of every decision on the offensive end, like he had last year, everything, right, went through him. I gave him an enormous amount of, I guess, leeway for the fact that, you know, he isn't going to run back and isn't going to close out and fight over screens. I got no shit. He's got no, he's got to save his energy somehow. He makes every single decision over 38 minutes or 39 minutes a night on the offensive end. Now, fast forward, right? Gordon not efficient, but he's scoring a ton. Chris Paul takes a huge load off. He's only playing 36 minutes a night, so you'd hope that some of that energy, 10 or 20 percent of the energy he's you know saving on the offensive end, is going towards you know manning up on defense. So that stands to reason for me as it gets balanced, and I'm I'm now with you where when we did our thing a few weeks ago i was thinking before the calves went on their swoon and all this crap happened i was i was kind of along number 1 but it's it's also not close now now it's hardened and then there's a gap then mm. you've kind of got <laughs> you know if curry had played more but he's not having a typical curry year giannis is got God, almost default number 2 and that's a, and i'm even stretching he's played fantastic but that team's you know a few games above 500 and so it's it's Harden and then a gap, yeah. And hmm. so
0: it's starting so to feel Steph, like the Steph Curry MVP a couple of years ago, where it was definitely yeah, a gap, I and then so Kawhi sort of was the best yeah. of the rest um, yeah. in that season. And it's it is fun watching Harden defend in the post because he it's I think it's become a matter of pride for him. I was watching the Orlando game, and Big Mo Spates realized that Harden was on him and called for the ball and tried to back him down and. Harden just pushed him fucking straight <laughs> off his spot. And you could just see the shock on Mo baits' face. Was like, I thought this guy couldn't defend. Like, what's going on here? And so, he leaned into it. Yeah, yeah. So um, Harden, he, he knows how to um, at least push his ass in the people down the post or we'll stop them doing the same to him. Uh, so that was my last sort of takeaway of the weekdays. But let, let's maybe look forward. If, have you looked at the schedule to see if there's any sort of marquee matchups coming up that you're interested in? Uh, in the coming week
1: well we're it's so the last little surge before the fake all star break um, uh, I was just looking I, while you're asking um, you know we got an interesting I guess the a bit of a test uh, Boston plays at Toronto uh, yep. on Tuesday so I guess that's a few days away so our Wednesday morning I think that'll be is that our Tuesday morning that's Wednesday. That's uh Wednesday morning. That's our Wednesday morning. Yep. Um <laughs> I would have been interested in Minnesota Cleveland, but that doesn't interest me anymore. Um
0: We got to Utah New at New Orleans. That's one if if Utah are yeah. gonna make a playoff run, that's the sort of the game they absolutely have yeah. to win.
1: And then of course, you know, on Friday, so next t- Saturday for us, it's you know, Clippers Pistons. You know, so it's about a week away, but so oh, that okay. yep. that's matchup, but that's a that's in Detroit, so not as dramatic as Blake going back to LA yet. But uh, you know, I guess we'll be looking out for that sort of reunion. Um, yeah, Boston
0: yeah. and Washington would be the other one I'd, I would watch out for just to see. If,
1: yeah, so Boston's got a big week, right? Toronto and Washington kind of back to back, not back to back nights, but back to back games. So big week for uh, kind of a big week for Boston and uh, the top of the top of the East. So yeah. Um, and I guess and OKC kind of, see,
0: no, at Golden State, always an
1: interesting one. That'll always be fun, right? Yeah. So i I guess I'm you know, just the way Denver has had this little resurgence. I'm kind of seeing if they can, you know, if they can be a bit of a pain in the ass now and see where they go in the playoffs. Um, they've got a, they've got some tests.
0: I want to see Millsap come back. I'm not sure what the latest diagnosis is on on Millsap, but Our I heard he's getting them, close. Yeah. yeah, you'd imagine yeah. All, just after All Star break, and they've stayed afloat very well without him. Um, Gee, I'd love to see them somehow get a, a decent point guard. Just someone to give them the direction outside of what Jokic does. But but once uh, Millsap comes in, I think it improves their defence and also should uh, continue to, to make their offence... Um, their offence is going to suffer when he comes back, put that way.
1: The other one that might be fun is that you know, maybe they can score 160 points, but Houston at Brooklyn, you know, coming up <laughs> no, tomorrow night. So... Uh,
0: um, well, I'm looking forward to San Antonio yeah. at Phoenix, just so San Antonio can can break out of their mini <sighs> slump and start the Rodeo road trip with a win.
1: Yeah, but, you know, Mike, Chris might be back. That's <laughs> going to be a tough. You don't want to see him. That's you going know.
0: to be tough to you know there. Yeah, All right, absolutely. Daz, well, we'll leave it there for this week, mate, but uh, have a good week, and uh, no that we'll talk you, it'll be trade deadline, it'll be done and dusted by this time next week. LeBron would have gone to the Spurs already for uh, LaMarcus Aldridge in a couple of first rounders so that'll be interesting plenty <laughs> of talk
1: about then.
0: So we'll see Good where we end be, up.
1: I'm sure that I, I have a. F- my gut says I think that we've seen the big fireworks the last obviously last year with Jimmy Paul George, Chris Paul, you know, Hayward and now Blake I my gut tells me I think the fireworks are done but No I think one of those
0: some... Eastern conference teams is gonna pull the trigger on one that we don't see coming.
1: You reckon? Yeah. Mm. That's what I wondered would would, would Washington be you know, would they would they, would they they get boogie now, knowing that it would hurt them this year but would help next year anyway? I think DeAndre Jordan's
0: there. going to be in the Eastern Conference by next week. He, my, he's got
1: him, doesn't he? He's a, he's a goner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's probably number one in the entire league <laughs> in terms of a guy who's got to be traded. So I think he and Lou are both going to be gone, right? Now that well, he, Lou, here.
0: and Avery Bradley are OKC okay, so apparently interested in <laughs> Avery Bradley as well. So there's a fire sale going on there.
1: I'd be a natural, but hey, at least they
0: signal. got yeah. they got Tobias Harris on a good contract. So well played.
1: He's, so an, asset. Just, he's, he's an asset. He's an asset.
0: He's a positive he asset, of course. Does right. okay, mate. Right, we'll leave it there. We'll talk again next week. Have a good week, right. mate. Bye. Thanks,
1: mate. Bye.